Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Welcome back to the top 10 Newcastle United captains. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by John Gibson. And if you're here for part two, I'm assuming you've probably just listened to part one where John talked us through uh, his favourite Newcastle United captains from 10 down to 6. I'll just rerun through the list to give us a little refresh before we dive on to number 5. At number 10, Glenn Roder. Number 9, Robert Lee. Number 8, Colin Beach. Number 7, Stan Anderson. And number 6, Kevin Keegan. John, we're back. We're going to dive straight on to your next one. Who have you gone for? This is the sharp end of the... Uh, we're getting down to business now, now we're we? getting down to the real... I mean, uh, before, you, before you introduce the next one, how difficult was it to get those five that we've just mentioned there into that list? You've mentioned at the start of the last episode, people who yeah. get an honourable mention didn't get yeah. into the top ten. Yeah. How difficult was to get those five where you've got them and then the next five? Oh, hugely difficult. I mean, the wonderful thing, and I enjoy doing these because the research, the memory jogging things, is part of the fun. I mean, I changed that list three times. <laughs> oh, certain people, I never changed who was going in the list. I always knew these are my 10 guys, but I, ju- I, I popped somebody a bit higher, dropped somebody a bit down, said, oh, you've got to put him before him, so let's do So if I was doing that, goodness knows what will happen when it comes to, uh, to the, vote. the fans and the vote. And But that's what's wonderful about it. Now, it, I could easily go through this now and think to myself, how the heck did he not go up into the top five from the other list? That's, a, that's the wonderful thing. Uh, and it's also a joy because it reminds me that Newcastle haven't been dross all our lives, you know. We've had some corking players and some corking yeah. skippers and some of these are. And they, I mean, we're now coming one to five to the real creme de la creme of Newcastle United skippers. And have I got this right? I, I think yes. Have I got them in the right order? I've even debated that with myself. <laughs> we'll soon find out. And John mentioned there the vote in the podcast notes will be a link you'll click on that and you'll be able to vote in order of john's top 10 we did it with the the last episode of give us corner which was john's top 10 favorite newcastle goals it was brilliant to see so many people vote so you'll get the chance to do that again and we'll announce the results john will do an article online as well and we'll announce the results in, in due course we're excited to see how the list holds up but we'll get down to number five now who have you yep. gone for number five jimmy schooler old thunder thighs himself uh Wonderful, wonderful captain. Both now he was one of the unique ones. I talked in the last episode about you. You can have the guy who is the uh, the tough guy, and you can have the guy that leads by example. I said, and if you can sometimes get those two together, it's quite a unique situation, and your bread's buttered on both sides. This guy was both. This guy was a real barker, a real tough guy frightened people to death he could you know he could take a uh, crowbar and bend it in his teeth but at the same time he had the velvet touch on the pitch of an absolute artist and he combined both and that is quite unique uh, that often doesn't come along um jimmy had exactly that and of course they it's lovely when you have a peg at the end of the day say why are you skipping women that skipper at Newcastle to success. That all Phelps. 1955 FA Cup final skipper. Last time Newcastle won a domestic trophy, 1955, Jimmy Schooler was the skipper. They'd lifted the trophy. Joe Harvey had just retired, and the skipper for this side was Jimmy Schooler. Now, 
he come to Newcastle with a reputation already firmly established. He was bought for what was then a club record fee, 26000 Hasn't times changed. Uh, that was a club record. Came from Portsmouth, where he had been a key member of their side that won the First Division Championship successive seasons, 1949-1950. These days, you can never think of Portsmouth winning, becoming champions of England, but they did, and it was built on a very famous half-back line, of which Schooler was the top man. 1949-1950, they won the title. 1955, he skipped us to the FA Cup final success against Man City 3-1. Um, now, that game, apart from him uh, being the skipper and going up the stairs first, the whole game was built on the cross-field passes from Schooler at right-off on the right side of the field, long Shelby-type passes, though a bit more accurate sometimes than John Joe is, and, and he got round the pitcher slightly quicker. Um, but the ability to drop the ball onto a sixpence, as we said in those days, uh, which was one of the coinages, to... Bobby Mitchell on the left wing from right off to the left wing <coughs> that was the tactic which absolutely ripped Manchester City apart they came into the game as the tactical supremos they had the Revy plan um, which was Don Revy who was playing centre forward for them it was like a withdrawn centre forward if you like what it meant was you were a deep, you were the midfield playmaker but you wore the centre-forward shirt, but instead of playing at centre-forward, Hungary did it with Hitchagutti when Pushkas was playing at Wembley. You just withdrew him into the middle of the field, but he happened to wear the number. I mean, the same thing happened. Ray Kennedy did everything at Liverpool from left side midfield, wore the number five shirt. It's just a way of establishing. And they came with a very plan, and the schooler Mitchell plan outdid that and, and, and won us the cup and, and ripped City uh, apart. And um, Schooler, he always looked an old man. He was almost bald. He was very uh, powerful. I mean, thighs, like, incredible. Um, and he always looked a tough guy, Scottish guy, Scottish granite. Um, and the funny thing is that after the successful cup years, Charlie Mitten came into Newcastle. And he was revolutionary. I mean, you know, you, you look at some of the things that uh, Charlie did and you, you can't believe that actually happened. One of the minor things was he decided to change the Newcastle strip, playing strip. And <laughs> what happened, he put uh, edging round the black pants, white edging piped round the bottom of the black pants. And... Every time Newcastle, and Schooler had this reputation for being the hardest man in football, and every time Newcastle played away, the, the crowd used to target Schooler and, and, and shout, Schooler, you're ship, you're slip-showing because of this this white stripe round the bottom of his trousers. And it used to infuriate him. He, used to, he said to me at one time afterwards, when I said, he said, Gibbo, I was noted as one of the toughest men in the world. And all the crowd are shouting me slip-showing because of this flipping idea, ridiculous idea. He said, and everybody's shouting, I'm wearing a pair of frilly knickers. Like. <laughs> um, and mind, that's one of the minor things that uh, Charlie Mitten did. 
some of the major things were horrific, but I think we covered them when we talked about managers. Uh, he played 272 games for us, James, uh, from 53 to 61, and uh, was, if you put an identical picture together of a skipper, which is the tough guy, barking orders, who could play like a dream, I guess he was the epitome of that. Because Joe Harvey, like you say, he'd, he'd retired Joe Harvey, he'd gone on to the coaching staff, so he was there when Newcastle won the uh-huh. 55. I mean, a lot of people actually do think that Joe was was still the captain for that 55. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the younger people yeah. still do, but he wasn't, of course. And I'm just wondering how important it was, do you think, to have that transition from someone like Joe to Schooler yeah. in terms of, you've mentioned they both had that bark and they yes, would be ordering. I, I think that was the the, the, the simple answer if they, with hindsight, is if you'd replaced Joe with the other sort of skipper, the very quiet guy who just leads by example, it might have been too much of a culture shock, bearing in mind that the majority of the team was still around. You went 51, 52, 55. I mean, three players, Milburn, Mitchell and Cowell, played in all three. So if you'd got a skipper who was totally different, it might have been a bit of a culture shock. But Schooler had the bark of Harvey, had the authority of Harvey. You didn't dare challenge Schooler in the way that you didn't dare challenge Harvey. So he almost slipped, and Joe was in the background as well, he almost slipped into the wall automatically of Harvey, so that people like Milburn and Mitchell, who were absolutely crucial to Newcastle's success in the 50s, readily accepted Schooler, and Joe was part of the backroom staff anyway. So the the continuity went on, and that was important. On to number four then, you've gone for Huey Gallagher. This is the controversial uh, choice out of the whole lot, because... I've banged on about people that lead for exam- by example. If ever there was a captain of Newcastle United who did not lead by example, it was Huey Gallagher, because his example was absolutely horrendous in terms of, on the field, he punched opponents, he, he fell out with referees, off the field, he liked the ladies... He liked the sauce. He got drunk, sometimes on a Friday night. Um, He fell out with the board of directors at Newcastle United. He was looked upon even by the Newcastle board as a troublemaker, which is why they eventually sold him, even though he was one of the greatest players that's ever worn Newcastle United strip. But how do you not include the skipper who was the last man to win the ultimate prize of the champions of England, 1927. He's the last skipper to do that. He both skippered the side and was the top scorer. Now, how do you say he doesn't warrant a place in Newcastle United's top skipper? He was the top scorer and the skipper. But if the side that won the championship, you see, it's controversial there. So because of, because of what he was. Uh, so why number why, num- why number four? Why so high up in in your list? Why not? Put well, it hasn't been a skipper since it's won the title, uh, and not only did he win the title, 
as skipper, but in 41 games, out of 42, he played 41, he scored 39 goals. He was skipper and scored 39 goals in 41 matches and won the title. And I tell you what, whatever he did off the park, and he did plenty, the players loved him. The players loved him. You would. Get the ball up to him, it's a goal. Mm. Um, and and by the way, he was five foot five, taking on six foot one centre halves. And they were scared of Huey because, because Huey was such a volatile character. He deserves to be up there because it's like saying he was what Alan Shearer became top scorer and skipper. And you can't, if it's hard enough to do one job, you can have one great skipper and one great centre forward who scores a pile of goals. When you put them together and get one man out of it, which is what Huey Gallagher did, which is what Alan Shearer did, and then you ignore them in the place of history, I don't think you can. I read that he was quite critical of, of, of players if they didn't match his standards. Correct. So how do you how, how do you think the players dealt with that? Was that just a case of he sets the bar? So yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a funny old world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I won't name them here, but I've known players who've been quite critical of other players and the other players have turned around and said, wait a minute, you're telling me you can't even play. You can't even play and you're telling me that I'm not working hard enough or I should have turned left instead of right and sprayed the ball over there. You can't play, sir. You could never say that. If You know, I can't play. I've scored 39 goals in 41 games. I've skipped the side that's won the title. No good going to Alan Shearer if, if Alan Shearer tells you you're doing something wrong and say, who are you to tell me? Who are you? He's captain of England. He's captain of Newcastle. He's, he's the top goal scorer. Huey Gallagher was loved because you know what? You got medals because he was mm. playing centre-forward. Well, that was going to be my next question. You mentioned there how the opposition was scared of him but in terms of the the playing staff was it was it a, a love out of respect or was it a love out of fear for some do you think no i think it was a love out of respect and it was a love out of love because when you got him away from the field and when you got him away from the barman's apron so that he wasn't in drink he was a lovable little fella that he's and he was completely respectful when he used to talk to people he would call them sir mind he wouldn't after eight o'clock at night in the pub but uh, before that he would call them sir uh, he, he, yes sir lovely to meet you sir uh, and he, he wasn't being subservient he was just showing respect and you've got to remember he had five seasons at Newcastle he finished top goal scorer in all five seasons he ended up with 143 goals from 174 appearances. Now take that ratio. It is phenomenal. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I mean, this was despite the fact he was an absolute playboy who drank too much. He was as quick with his fists as he was with his foot. Um, and in the end, the director said, there's so much baggage here We've got to sell them. And they sold them to Chelsea. Now, the Newcastle crowd were decimated. One of the first songs that was chanted on the terraces was made up about uh, Huey Gallagher, the wee Scots boy 
uh, with the feet, scored the goals, etc., etc. Um, and the the amount of love on the terraces because they also love a scally fans often don't they mm. you know if you're a bit of a scally if, 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 you're, if it's oh, your scally yeah 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 if if, if you're your scally hey, that because they would like to be that man you know and and they can say well i might live like that if i was lucky enough to be a superstar etc etc he came back his first visit back to st james's park after being sold to chelsea was for a match on a wednesday afternoon and it had to be a midweek afternoon because there was no floodlights in those days. So you couldn't have a Wednesday night game. There was no floodlights. So it had to be an afternoon when people were at work. The It set a Newcastle attendance record, 68,386 in St. James's Park. 68,386. And 10,000 were locked outside. 10,000 that were trying to get in to pay homage to to Huey. Not to boom on thing when he come back, which often can be the case when a mm. player comes back with another club. This, they hadn't had a chance to say goodbye. Here he was coming back, they were going to say goodbye. And that was how good Huey Gallagher was. Yes, he was a bundle of trouble, but by Jove, you know, I don't want a choir boy that scores three goals a season or four goals a season playing centre-forward for Newcastle. If it comes with baggage, and it was lovely when Alan Shearer didn't, etc., etc., but if it comes with baggage and you win as much as Newcastle did with Gallagher, which was the first division championship in 1927, we're coming up to almost 100 years and we haven't won the championship since. So tell me that Hugh Gallagher shouldn't be in the list, and I'll tell you there's somebody that's not grateful for the history of Newcastle United. Well, I mentioned in the, the previous episode, part one, about the debate about statues and, and stands, and Hugh Gallagher is often a name that crops up as well, and it, oh. it's a sign of, like you say, what he did for this club that all these years later, you know, he's, he's held that highly by players, by fans who've, who've never seen them on are living on his... Uh, his reputation by the stories coming down. Yeah, while, while we had number nines who were great in beyond him in the dim and distant past, like an Edwardian side, for me, the modern day number nine legends as such began with Huey Gallagher and then went on with Jackie Milburn, Super Mac, and Shearer. Uh, so he was the start of all that. And uh, it was controversial, as it always is controversial, because he took over from Frank Hudspeth as skipper at Newcastle United, and Frank had lifted the trophy, the FA Cup at Wembley, etc., etc. And this guy was a firebrand that was taken over from him. So it was a controversial decision. But he was loved. And all the players throughout the country, the great, great players from Tommy Lawton to everybody else, all said, what a player this was and that he wasn't as bad as he was painted as a person mm. it was the demon drink of course so there we have Huey Gallagher at number four we're going to do number three in a moment but just before you tell us who is your third mm -hmm. pick I just want to ask you John who was the first Newcastle United captain that you remember as a as a Newcastle United fan you grown up watching as a fan as a fan uh, Joe Harvey um, when I was a little lad in the 50s 
watching the FA Cup finals on, on, on my auntie's little postage stamp television and then going to St James's Park and standing in the Lees' end uh, behind the goal and being a little kid, my feet never touched the bottom. There was that many people in there. I mean, I moved within 60 yards left and right the whole game as the, as the crowd swayed, and I was just standing in the middle of that. And I was privileged to see the wonderful Newcastle side that, that won the cup, and Joe Harvey was the first skipper. And what I found absolutely staggering, because I was a fan to start with, and I have remained a fan, even though I've been privileged to write about Newcastle United, I've remained deep inside a fan to this day. And the wonderful thing, which I never expected to happen, was people that I'd idolised, like Harvey and like Milburn, became personal friends through working with them later in my journalistic mm. career. But Harvey was, Harvey was the first one that uh, I watched and thought, I wouldn't mind being him. Well, let's see if he makes it into your top ten. Number three is? Number three is Bob Munker, and I've now got into a top three, which in theory I could juggle around, and I wouldn't because this is the way I rate the three, but any of these three could be number one and you could make out a very good reason why that would be so, and that would be Bob. We talked about uh, Huey Gallagher was the last skipper, Newcastle United skipper to win the championship. Bob is the last Newcastle United skipper to win anything because he was, of course, the skipper of the 1969 European Fairs Cup winning side, which is the last meaningful trophy Newcastle won, the only European trophy they've ever won. And not only did he lift it, but he scored a hat-trick over the two-leg final, as we all know by now. And he scored a hat-trick when he was the, the sweeper be, behind the centre-half. I mean, he couldn't, outside of Willie McFall, the goalkeeper, he was the fowls back playing in the side and yet scored a hat-trick in the final. So that was fairy tale uh, stuff. And um, he was a natural leader of men. And he was... The tough guy, he was the barker, he was a sergeant major, he was the leader not just on a Saturday afternoon, because mainly then you played on a Saturday afternoon, the games weren't spread Friday night, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, Monday night, uh, you played on a Saturday afternoon, but he was a leader Monday to Friday as well. He led them in training. He was the one that went and saw the manager with any grouses that any players might have. Um, he became a, a dear, dear friend of mine uh, right from the, the start when I started uh, reporting on Newcastle United when I came back from Fleet Street in uh, 1966. I ghosted his autobiography, United We Stand, um, and he still remains an absolute friend that I see and talk to regularly today. He uh, He's the epitome of what a Newcastle United skipper ought to be in looks, in ability and in leadership and was very much uh, a replica of, of his manager, Joe Harvey. Mm. I mean, one of the, the stories Bob tells quite often is the about the half-time team talk yeah, of the yeah, Fairs yeah. Cup final. Yeah. And... He describes it, you know, they were waiting for Joe to come in, he t he was taking his time, they were decimated, he comes in and he literally utters the words, 
what's the problem? And um, Bob basically just goes, bites back and says, what do you mean, what's the problem? We're getting hammered out there. And I just love the fact that, you know, Joe Harvey, even as a manager, had this reputation. You know, you wouldn't cross him. And yet there's Bob. He's not afraid to, to tell the manager because, with there. Because Bob was Joe. Yeah. He was a younger version of Joe. And do you think, I mean, is that kind of the, oh, the respect was there? Totally. And he was a younger version of Joe, and I always expected him to go into management, which he did, but never quite had the success he had as a player. Um, but he looked like Joe. If you looked at Joe, the hair, the hairstyle, the Jut Joe, the, the tough guy, the chin. He look, when you take a young Joe, when he was skipper in Newcastle, and you take a picture of Moncur, they're almost identical. Did you think Bob always wanted a captain who would pull him up if he was maybe not on the on the right track? I mean, was Joe the kind of person who would admit he was wrong, or did he need to be told? No, he, no, he, he wasn't stubborn. I mean, getting Kevin Keegan to admit he was wrong would take some doing. Uh, getting Joe Harvey, no, he wouldn't. I mean, at the time, he'd be as fiery as it's uh, possible to be and would probably uh, bury you. Um, but the next day, he would invite you in the office and say, hey, son, you're, you're all right. I take your point. Everything's okay. blah de blah uh, As long as you had great respect for you. And uh, Joe saw Monks as a young him and thought, I've got it cracked here. I'm in the manager's office and Joe's in the dressing room. Was uh, it, and Bob's in the dressing room. Was it as simple as that or did Bob have to go into the leadership, do you think? I think like Joe was born into it, Bob was born into it. Yes, you've all got to grow, we've all got to grow into whatever we're doing in life. Um, it doesn't happen from day one. You're, not, you're never the finished article, but you, you've always got all the ingredients in the bowl. You've just got to, you know, mix them all together. And... Um, no, Bob had what Joe had. He needed to be brought out of him, and Joe was the ideal man to do that. But he was he was a natural, natural leader of mine. And he, I mean, at the time, his nickname was Captain Bob. In the club, he was always called Captain Bob. Uh, and you've got to bear in mind that as well as skipping Newcastle United, he skipped Scotland. You know, I mean, he, he had the ability to uh, to skipper the Scottish side as well, and he skippered Scotland against England at Wembley. Um, he was our Bobby Moore, um, our being Newcastle United and Bobby Moore with West Ham. Bobby Moore captained England, Bob Munker captain, and the same type of player. Okay, Moore might have had a little bit more in the ball, but they were same build, same pace, lack of. Um, in the way they played, but razor sharp, uh, tactical brain, and the first two yards were in the head. They were never; they were rarely caught out of position because they were moving before the ball was played. So that made up for a lack of pace because the pace, the first two yards were in the head. And out of all of Bob's attributes, what is the one that stands out for you? I, I think the fact that, that he was a natural leader of men rather than the tactical side he was brilliant at, the physical side he never shirked, the ability when he went to the other end of the pitch on occasions to score crucial goals. He scored a goal that won the FA Youth Cup in his very early time in Newcastle. He scored a goal that won the Texaco Cup. He, he scored in the great come back of all time from 3-1 down against Forest 
to a 4-3 victory with 10 men on the year they, they went to Wembley. Uh, he scored crucial goals. He had a lot of great ability, but the best ability he had was leadership. And we've got to bear in mind that while he was captain of Newcastle, he was also a captain of Scotland. And when I talked to you in the last episode about Stan Anderson and the amazing thing about Stan being a Sunderland legend, come to Newcastle and was made captain of Newcastle, Bob Munker did it the other way around. He was a Newcastle United legend that went to Sunderland for a couple of seasons. And lo and behold, Stoko made him captain of Sunderland Getting rid of Bobby Monker, uh, uh, getting rid of Bobby Kerr, who had lifted the FA Cup, uh, sacked him as skipper and made Bob skipper. And Bob did a terrific job. Monty, Monty on one of the first days, uh, the goalkeeper, uh, Jimmy Montgomery, went over to Bob Monker and said, I used to hate you, he said, because he, he was. And, and they become pals, and he, and, uh, he led Sunderland. To promotion, he was a natural leader. He captained Sunderland, he captained Newcastle, and he captained Scotland. And how important was it for Joe Harvey to have someone like him? Did did Joe always set out? You felt to have someone in his mould? Was that always the plan when he got going at Newcastle? Do you think? I I, I think it was. I mean, he he, he cleared out uh, people at Newcastle very early doors. Uh, he built three sides, as, as I've said. He built his um, second division champions. He, he built his uh, first cup, and he built his FA Cup final team in the seventies. Um, but subconsciously, he knew how well he'd worked as skipper of Newcastle, and he wanted the same sort of guy. He wanted to know that Monday to Friday in the dressing room and Saturday afternoon for an hour and a half on the pitch. His philosophy in football was carried through by, and he knew he was in safe hands. He didn't dictate to to Bob Monker. He allowed Bob Monker to run the dressing room the way Bob Monker wanted to. There was still only one manager, but he, he, he allowed him to breathe. He didn't suffocate him, and it worked terrific, and there was respect between both of them for each other. And ironically, number two is Mr. Joe Harvey. Is Joe Harvey. Um, and it must be. Uh, I mean, Joe Harvey, we talked, we've talked an awful lot about whether people should have um, statues at St. James's Park. Without question, this guy should. He's got a plaque at St. James's Park, thanks to the Fairs Club, which is a club of Newcastle United supporters from the days in, of 1969, and that's thoroughly deserved. But when you think of what this guy did, he was the FA Cup winning skipper in 1951 and 1952. He was coach in 1955. He was manager when they won the 2nd Division Championship in 65, the first Cup in 69, the Anglo-Italian Cup, which took some doing. They, they had to play Fiorentina away in the final one-off game, packed in Florence with all their fans, won it. Won two Texaco Cups, which was the... Anglo-Scottish Cups and reached the FA Cup final of 74 he did everything for Newcastle United and deserves his place in history and he was the original blue chin wing off with a bark of a sergeant major which is what he'd ever been well, what he used to be um, and when he went out in the 50s and captained the great Newcastle side 
when it was time to go out uh, before a match, I used to grab the ball and, and say, away lads, let's let's get the band a pair of shoes. And they went out, and what he was referring to was the win bonus that w- was paid in that time that made the big difference, probably only a couple of quid, it made a big difference to him. He used to say, let's go out and get the band a pair of shoes. Let's go out and win the game. Um, and, you know, he was... I mean, I used to talk to Jackie Milburn, who became a great friend. I ghosted four or five books with Jackie on Newcastle United. And Jackie Milburn used to say, Joe, he terrified us. He absolutely terrified us because he was a sergeant major and his, his bark wasn't worse than his bite. His bite was worse than his bark. Uh, he, he, and, and Jack become a very good friend of his and they, were, they played golf together an awful lot. But he, he said, uh, you know, he, he said, I, I was genuinely terrified of him and so was the rest of the team. He said, you know, he talked about often to me about Moncler being in the image of Harvey, he said, but there was only one half, he said. Uh, he said, uh, running into him when the pitch was like running into a bag of iron. He, he was so strong and so tough. Uh, he, and he said he was our go-to man. If we ever had any problems as players, we didn't go and see Stan Seymour, we went and saw Joe Harvey, who went and saw Stan Seymour uh, and got it all uh, got it all sorted. Um but, you know, and I talked to Jack about those great years, Cup three times in, in, in five years, and he used to say, and he told me, I said, explain, you know, the background, and it's so different to what modern-day football is. And he said, Stan Seymour, who was then in charge of the team, he said, Trent is like men. Joe, Joe Harvey, this was Jackie talking, Joe Harvey believed that a couple of pints of Guinness on a Saturday morning were good for him. On a Saturday morning with a game in the afternoon. So he was allowed them. Only two, but he was allowed them by Stan Seymour. This was long before Cluffy. When Cluffy did it with the Frank Clark side, this was seen as revolutionary. Stan Seymour was doing it with Joe Harvey in the 50s, getting him a, a couple of pints of He'd give him a couple of Guinness on a Saturday morning and little Ernie Taylor, who was the inside forward in that cup side, who was so small, if he went up to a bar, he had to put his hand there, he couldn't be seen by the barman, he was smaller than the bar. He used to want a pint before a game. And he, so he got a pint, Joe got two glasses of Guinness and Jackie Milburn smoked cigarettes in the dressing room at Wembley at half time in all three cup finals of 51, 52 and 55. Can you imagine that these days? Uh, and that was the way it was run. And Joe took that into management. I don't mean having a drink, but took into management. If you treat men like men, you'll get a man's response. Mm-hmm. If you treat them like children, you will not get the same response. You mentioned there Jackie saying he was terrified of Joe yeah. Harvey what about the opposition how scared of Joe Harvey were they oh well when you think of it this way um, if you were coming through as an inside forward and you were playing Newcastle at St James's Park the first fellow you would run into is Joe Harvey who as Jackie Milburn said there was like running into a bag of iron if you somehow survived that or picked yourself up waiting for you was Frank Brennan who was nicknamed the Rock of Gibraltar who was a giant of a man who, honestly, 
was so hard it was absolutely untrue. Effectively, they were Newcastle's two central defenders. They, they then weren't called that in those days. It was right half and centre half, but they were effectively the two guards standing on the bridge, defending Newcastle's honour. And you couldn't get two tougher men than Harvey and Frank Brent. Um, and the opposition hated playing against Newcastle for that very reason. And how proud do you think Harvey was of? Captain Newcastle and captain Newcastle to success as well. Oh, uh, massively. I mean, Joe Harvey is the epitome of the adopted Geordie. He's a Yorkshireman, came out of Bradford, come to Newcastle. But once he arrived in Newcastle, he was a Geordie for the rest of his life. Uh, he played for us. I mean, he adored the club. He lived for the club. He played for Newcastle United. When he was going to become a manager, he went over to the West Country to manage Workington and Barrow, who were both football league uh, clubs at the time, no longer so, but were then. But he only went over there to learn to do his apprenticeship as a manager. He always wanted to come back here and manage Newcastle, and did, and did the huge success. And when he left Newcastle, never managed another club. He stayed on as a scout for Newcastle, as an ambassador for Newcastle, etc etc the love of his life was Newcastle United and um, it's amazing for a man that wasn't a Geordie um, but he's one of us there's absolutely no question about that and we have a documentary uh, called Joe Newcastle's greatest ever servant if you search that on Google um, or we just republished it actually um, at the start of June because it was Joe's would have been Joe's birthday and also it was the anniversary yeah. of the first cup second leg so that was on June the 11th so it should actually be quite close to the top of your podcast channel so if you haven't listened to that do listen to that it's a, it's a really good documentary with Gibbo, Supermac, Frank Clark, Joe's son uh, Ken as well so there's loads of big names in there that give a really nice insight into just uh, how brilliant Joe was for Newcastle United that leads us into your top pick. Number one. Before we do that, we're just going to have to run through the top yeah. nine. So, at number 10, Glenn Roder. At number nine, Rob Lee. Number eight, Colin Reach. Number seven, Stan Anderson. Number six, Kevin Keegan. Number five, Jimmy Schooler. Number four, Huey Gallagher. Number three, Bob Monker. Number two, Joe Harvey. And number one? Mr. Alan Shearer. Ever in doubt? Not in doubt whatsoever. Do you know what? Before you continue, actually, so as I mentioned at the start of the last episode, we did do a Gibbers Corner back in 2019, the greatest Newcastle ever captains. We didn't pick a top 10 list, but I did listen back to it, and you sum up that episode by saying, if I was standing next to three men in the trenches, I know which three men I'd want either side of me, and you actually did pick Bob Monker, Joe Harvey, and Alan Shearer. Absolutely. Absolutely, and they stand apart, I feel, from all the rest. I could jiggle all the rest around. You could justify Joe Harvey being the top skipper or Bob Munker being the top skipper. For me, it's unquestionably Alan Shearer, but the three top were a class apart for me. And um, Alan Shearer just stands there. He's the ultimate goal scorer, the ultimate captain, and the ultimate local hero. Now, if you can be all those three things, um, and there's always one of those three things previous people weren't, like 
Joe Harvey wasn't a local hero, Huey Gallagher wasn't a local hero, Bob Montero wasn't a local hero. Uh, other skippers weren't the ultimate goal scorer. Um, but he was the three. He was the ultimate goal scorer, the ultimate captain, and the ultimate local hero. He was, a, for me, the last of the British Bulldog centre-forwards that we've had. The nearest now is Harry Kane. But Harry Kane these days plays it slightly different. It comes deeper and, and, and does things and links up and, and creates goals as much as score them. That wasn't part of Alan's game. But the closest in the modern day game was Harry Kane. But he's the last of the British Bulldogs. Uh, and he's the keeper for me of the number nine legend. He is the guy that says Newcastle's number nine legend is in safe hands when it's with Alan Shearer. And it was totally appropriate that if somebody was going to take Jackie Milburn's record as top goal scorer in Newcastle United's history, it should be another local man. And it was an Alan Shearer. And I think Alan Shearer's goal scoring record for Newcastle United would probably stand indefinitely because people don't last as long as one, at one club these days. They move around, often because agents think that's a good thing to do, because that's where agents make their money. But this guy, um, and not only was he a great centre-forward that scored great uh, goals uh, for Newcastle, and the most goals for Newcastle, but he was a great leader. And he was both. He was a barker, and, and he led by example. And how good a skipper was he? I'll rest my case on one single fact. He skippered England 34 times. Now, if you can skipper your country 34 times, you're a pretty decent captain. And I'm talking about a country like England, not the Faroe Islands or... or, or Lichtenstein or England. 34 times he captained England. Uh, 63 caps, 34 of them as captain. That is the quality of the man. And on that, you mentioned there his England career. The fact that he retired to prolong his Newcastle United career, yeah. uh, I mean, that again shows a real sense of leadership and commitment to, to Newcastle United. Without a shadow of doubt. I mean, <clears throat> his commitment to Newcastle United was such that he sacrificed medals. Without a shadow of doubt, the only medal Alan Shearer got in a career was one Premier League title at Blackburn Rovers. And this fella's club record was 734 games in the whole of his career, 379 goals for one medal and he sacrificed the chase for medals by staying at Newcastle as unquestionably he came to Newcastle for medals because they'd finished runners up in the Premier League and he thought he we would win the title under him and under Kevin Keegan unfortunately Kevin took to his toes and we never won the title or got close to it again well we did We'll finish runners up and we'll finish third under Bobby Robson, but never seriously went for the title. But he didn't then agitate and go and leave Newcastle. He he was a very, very loyal club servant to Newcastle. The fact that he was living out his boyhood dream, the boyhood dream that many people listening to this will have, 
How important of an element do you think that was in his ability to captain Newcastle United? Did it push him to another level that some of these people that you've mentioned in this list, while mm. good captains, that you know they haven't from a young age dreamed of doing exactly what he was doing? No, uh, I think that like everyone else, it's a great leader of men, uh, whoever it is, whether it's Winston Churchill during the war or whether it's Bobby Moore's captain of an England side that won the World Cup. They're natural leaders. Uh, it, it brings it out in them, but we've got to remember that this guy, uh, he captained England under 21s. Long before he came to Newcastle, he captained England under 21s. Uh, scored 13 goals in 11 games for England under 21s, which is often forgotten because it of his England record at full level. So he was always a natural leader of men, um, and he was the natural leader with England as well. And um, I think that is something that's born into you. I think the pride he had in... And, of course, he led England 34 times, which wasn't Newcastle United. But the pride he had in being able to skip his, his own club and Newcastle United were his own club is, is something that he treasures to these days. And he really does treasure it. And we should treasure him, and, and we do. There's no question about that. The fans I'm talking about mm. uh, really treasure him and, and put him up there where he belongs. And that's why it was an absolute disgrace that his statue was outside of St. James's Park. Hang your head in shame, Mike Ashley, that you dare inflict this upon us. And it's absolutely right that he should be brought inside St. James's Park now because arguably he's the number one statue at Newcastle United. Whoever else may deserve statues, nobody has done more for Newcastle United. I haven't said one more for Newcastle United. I've said done more for Newcastle United than Alan Shearer with all his goals, etc. Mm. And we've been mentioned about attributes. I mean, he loved a bit of a fight as well. Didn't necessarily go looking for it, but if he was no. challenged, he wouldn't back off, would he? And that just another element of why he was such a great leader. You, you oh, want him at the front of you. Totally, totally. And um, you've got to be willing to mix it because, especially if you're a centre-forward. I mean, you know, if you're a centre-forward, it's a good goal scorer. Centre-halves look for your weakness. And if your weakness is that you don't like the physicality of it, you'll get plenty of it. You'll get plenty of stick. And if you don't come back, you're dead. I mean, you, you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, this handsome, baby-faced, boy you, you think oh he's gonna be a, you know flicks the ball flick the, one of the toughest men in the game you watch him on the field from his first time in Manchester United not now in his old age and people would try to kick him now most of the time they would miss him because he was that clever but when they did kick him what they hated was he just got back up and said come on again and he'd run directly at you this the next second that's good. That's the sort of thing that Chiro would do. That's the sort of thing that great centre forwards must do because you're a physical target. There's, people will stop you in any way they can, legal or illegal. And um, Shearer was a tough guy. And he was a tough guy off the field. You've only got to ask Keith Gillespie that. Um, and David Ginola, as it happens. Um, but yes, he, he, he was a, a genuine natural leader um, and it's a 
quite unusual for your leader to be either a centre forward or a goalkeeper. Well, they, they often don't like those two positions. Don't necessarily yeah. lend themselves because they're extreme ends of the pitch. I, I was going to ask you because obviously Jackie Milvern had Newcastle's goal scoring record. Shearer broke that, but he was you know he never seemed to well he never had the the want a desire team to want the captain Newcastle as a well, Jackie. Yeah. No, he was never going to be a, a, a captain and he was never going to be a manager. He tried it at Ipswich and it almost killed him. I mean, literally, uh, I mean, he was lying down in a darkened room. Bless him. He, had to, he was the nicest, most inoffensive man you could ever wish to meet, Jack. And he was the most wonderful goal scorer that was possible. But he was never, ever a leader of men. He, You know, Harvey's in the side, Milburn's captain. He, Jack, bless him, would probably be in the 11th choice as captain uh, when they ran out of uh, the other 10. So does it take a special character, especially when it comes to being a goal scorer like Shearer and mm. Milburn, to then take the, the responsibility of being a, a captain as well? Oh, I, I mean, you know, you're, you're doing everything. You're, you're chief bottle washer, you're the cook, you're, you're everything. You look after the laundry. It's incredible. And, you know, the, the, the two, that's why Huey Gallagher went in the list. And because he scored the goals and led the side, and Alan Shearer had that capability of doing it as well, um, that's quite unique. As I say, the two people, the two positions that don't lend themselves to you skippering them because you're not at the heart of the action, like you're on midfield or centre half, is goalkeeper and centre forward. Mm -hmm. It's very unusual. You've got to be exceptional to be a captain who's a centre forward or a goalkeeper. And if there's one thing that stands out about Shearer and his captain, his ability to lead, what what is it for you? Great question. It's it's the ability to walk out onto the field at the head of the players in, and say absolutely nothing. Because the fact that you are there, the rest of the players know. And we had a great side in the entertainer's side. We are a side, you've got to remember that in Shearer's time, we are a side that finished runners-up in the Premier League twice, finished third in the Premier League, and played in two FA Cup finals at Wembley, all with Shearer, in a 10 years. Two runners-up in the, in the league, third in the league, two cup finals. All right, one step away from true success. But that ain't a bad old time. And that was always Shearer. And that's how good Shearer was and how natural a leader and what a devastating goal scorer he is. And that's why Hughie's in the list for doing exactly the same in 1927, taking it one step further when the title was won. That is the ability of those two men. Very different men in terms of heightened physical appearance in terms of coolness, not in terms of toughness, though both T-Card, Gallagher and Shearer, uh, but different men, different men off the park for certain. But um, total respect. The, the name immediately, the name of Alan Shearer, what do you think? You think goals and respect. Uh, he commands both of those things and that makes him extra special and for me he stands out we haven't had another skipper 
that's been good enough to skip a, his country's national side, a bigger team is England, 34 times. And that tells you something special because you've got everybody to pick from to keep to captain England. He did it 34 times and he skipped at Newcastle uh, indefinitely through all the modern success, using that in quotes, because there was no gong. Just to finish off then, just sum up why Alan Shearer is your number one choice for your top 10 Newcastle United captains. Because there's nothing that he hasn't got. As I said, he's the ultimate goal scorer, ultimate captain, ultimate local hero. He's the number nine legend. He's the top goal scorer in the 130-year history of the club. He's skipper of Newcastle. He's skipper of England. Uh, quite simply, these guys come along once in a lifetime. We were privileged n not only to see him, but to have him do it for our club rather than for somebody else's club. We watched the ability of Bobby Charlton as a Geordie at Manchester United and probably thought on occasions, I wish he had done it for us. This fella did it for us. He is literally one of our own that reached the top of the mountain. He reached football's Everest without oxygen. And um, for me, special moment, unquestionably, in my humble opinion, Newcastle United's number one skipper. I have a suspicion that, like Philip Albert remained the top goal, that in, once the voting comes in on this, Alan Shearer may well stay number one Newcastle skipper. I think you might be right. So you guys will get the chance to challenge John's top 10 Newcastle United captains. I will run through the finish list now. At number 10, Glenn Roder, 9, Rob Lee, 8, Colin Veach, 7, Stan Anderson, 6, Kevin Keegan, 5, Jimmy Schooler, 4, Huey Gallagher, number 3, Bob Moncure, number 2, Joe Harvey, and in John's opinion, number 1 is Alan Shearer. I will pop the link to where you can reorder John's top 10. I'll pop that link into the podcast notes. There'll be a few stories on chroniclelive.co.uk as well, promoting the vote. We'll then close it in due course. The closing date will be within the article so you'll know when your time is up to vote and then we will announce the winner the top 10 list to see if it's changed as we did with the top 10 goals it was really interesting to see how that came out we're really intrigued to see how this one comes out but thank you very much for listening to the everything is black and white podcast tune in again for gibbo's corner we'll be back very soon with another episode of gibbo's corner we've got a big list to get through the next one's also going to be very special look out for that one in, in due course as well Please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider.